the first clinical trial that was done on that technology was called the COVID vaccine. We took not only a risk, but we knew that this technology was going to alter what it literally means to be human. If you go to the current U.S. government documents, you find that there are 64 registered toxins and pathogens that are currently in development, just like SARS coronavirus. We still are having debates about whether it's a good or a bad vaccine. It is a biological weapon created at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, unambiguously stated as such. Not my words, their words. Even the likes of Tucker Carlson and Joe Rogan and Russell Brand and all the people who are in alt media, they can't seem to find an article. Surely doctors are intelligent, highly, inter highly intellectual. Surely most doctors have researched this when they're being no, taught No, most doctors it. are prostitutes. Part of the reason why they're successful is we as humans have done a pretty shitty job of modeling a better form of humanity. That's the future. And guess what? So We're still not there and we the people can change it. Information covered up, censorship, corruption. The mainstream media have proven itself to be untrustworthy. I'm here to give a platform for debate, for truth, for open discussion. I'm introducing you to my podcast, Silenced with Tommy Robinson. Who exactly is Tommy Robinson? Or Stephen Gatsby-Lane? With the English Defence the problem is with Islamic radio. English far right Islamophobic activism. Since then, there's been organised protests across the country in London, Manchester, Leeds. People in their thousands are marching for the There is no such thing in this country as a Muslim free Tommy Robinson. Dr. Martin is a speaker, author, business executive, and inventor. He hosted a 2013 TED Talk presentation about finance and played a starring role in the 2020 documentary Pandemic Indoctrination and has also appeared as a guest analyst on networks including CNBC and Bloomberg. He is perhaps most well known for his stance and research into COVID-19 and as a result he has been labelled a conspiracy theorist. His content regularly features topics related to vaccines, mask wearing and other so-called health measures that were rolled out on a global scale. His videos have received millions and millions of views. However, since sharing his opinions, some of his videos have been taken down or censored. Welcome to my latest edition of my podcast, Silence. I'm joined today by Dr. David Martin. Thank you. Hey, it's great to be here. Yeah, thank you for, for meeting with me. Um, I watched, I thought I knew about COVID, what's gone on, the, the details and the, how bad it was. And I watched a speech by this gentleman, a 21-minute 20, a speech at the European Parliament, and I was shocked. It's probably the best speech I've seen. And it's, oh, that's thank, thank you. That's, that's amazing. And I think if the world saw it, especially the passion in it, and I think if the world could see it, it would wake a hell of a lot of people up. But when I met you last night, you said, you, you said that that was a 45-minute speech cut down to 21. Yeah, it was. And all that left me thinking, after the details of it, you have to watch this speech. I'm going to include it, but I'm sure we're going to go through it now is what the hell was in the other 23 minutes. But the other question where I want to start with this is everyone knows there's been a con, everyone knows there's been lies, but not many doctors have spoke up. Yeah. So to see a doctor speaking up, my question is, why has he spoke up? Or what is it about this gentleman that makes him willing to speak up? So I wanted to start off with trying to understand who you are. We'll get onto all the details, 
understanding what's made you that person. So if you don't mind, can I ask where you was brought up? Where you yeah, brought yeah. Up? Well, well, let's let's start at the end and then work our way back, okay, right? Cool. So yep. the end of the story is in the last now eight years, I have gone through what I'm calling kind of my third evolution of who I am. And that is largely because of my wife, Kim. We met in Antarctica. And one of the insights she shared with me, I have to share with everybody because it's funny. The first interaction we had went exactly like this. Not something like this, exactly like this. Her words, I'm clearly the alpha female on this boat. You're clearly alpha male. I should find you attractive, but I don't. And then there was a long pause. And then she said, but I could. Now, now what people need to know is that that conversation when I was 48 years old is how we get to the beginning of the story. Okay. Because the beginning of the story is I was born in Fargo, North Dakota in April of 1967 in the middle of what was supposedly one of the l- largest record snowfalls, thunderstorm, all kinds of other craziness. So I came in on a storm. Um, and And there's all kinds of other very interesting stuff we won't get into on this podcast, but some interesting things that were going on. Okay. But, but I, I, I was born into a family that was very religious and very conservative. Okay. And my parents, my siblings, the community we were a part of was, um, was unfortunately committed to being right by proving everyone else wrong. And when you have a belief system, I don't care what the belief system is, where the only reason you can have confidence in it is by proving everyone else wrong, I see no value in that belief system. So I was born into censorship. I was born into a world where if I had a perspective that wasn't the way everybody else saw it, there must be something wrong with me. And so where a lot of people say, well, I had to wake up at some point in time. You know, I thought the world was this way, and then one day I found out that it wasn't. I was born into that conflict. So I don't have a phase of my life where I ever had the illusion to break. I actually had to figure out how to navigate my own way by being confident without having to be right. And that's, for me, the mystery. How do you find that place where you can get to a place where you know that what you have is true? But it doesn't have to be true at the expense of someone else's falsehood. It's true because it is true by its very nature. And so my first congressional testimony, as bizarre as this is, was in 1983. Um, People sit there going, how on earth are you so comfortable in front of groups? Well, I'm comfortable in front of groups because I started public speaking. I, I did singing performances. I used to travel with the choir and tour all over the place singing i you know i did a public speaking i did all kinds of other things testified at the senate when i was 16 in 1983 wow um and that was a a wonderful experience where i realized that i had a perspective that was valued but it was not common the what i saw the how i saw the world was not the way everybody else saw the world and so at each phase of my life what i've been able to do is i've been able to find very much my own path, whether it's popular or not. I've never had that 
kind of concern about, am I going to be liked? Am I going to be validated? Am I going to be approved? Am I going to be in the in-group? Because I never fit. And the reason I tell you the story of Kim is because when we met, the truth of her observation, which turned into a three-hour monologue from her telling me about everything that was wrong with my life, (laughs) but the truth of that monologue was summed up in the following. After all the things I've done in the world, after all the difference I've made, after all the impact I've made all over the world, she had a single question that took three hours to get to. But the simple question was, why didn't you ever include you in your life? Why didn't you care about your benefit, your joy, your happiness, your fulfillment? Why were you always just concerned about doing the right thing? Why didn't you ever actually look at doing the right thing for you? And that was an amazing observation. And I'm now on this eight-year journey where I'm now taking a step back and saying, okay, what if I did all the stuff I do, the amazing things, the perspectives, the businesses, all the things I do, what if I included me in that? What if I actually brought my spirit, my essence, my joy into the thing I'm doing? And so the speech that was heard around the world. Yep. When you say heard around the world, how many people heard it? Well, uh, right now there are roughly 4 billion views and downloads. It's one of the most downloaded pieces of video information in the history of video. So it's, wow. it's, it's huge. It's had a big but impact. if you go back and you look at that, the truth is the reason why that video was so well received is not because of the substance in it. There's a lot of material in there that people didn't know, and that's true. But the truth is I was speaking into the eyes of my wife. I was actually speaking to her. I was telling her a story. And when you have a human connection, and you're on the stage, and you're actually speaking yes to the audience, but you know what you're doing is you're saying, if I was telling this to a person I really cared about, how would I tell that story? How would I make sure there's a little humor in it? How would I make sure that it wasn't over the top? It wasn't enraged. It wasn't frustrated. It was something else. How would I do that speech if I was telling it to my children? How would I do that speech if I was telling it to my wife? How would I do that if I was telling it to somebody I loved? And you know what people feel when they see that speech? They feel it. Yeah, they, they, do, feel, they, yeah. they feel that somebody gave a shit at a time when the world didn't. What was your wife's name, Kim? Kim. You need to see. You need to see this couple. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching. I've not seen many couples, so I can see the love between yeah. you just instantly. Yeah. I don't think you've let go of each other's hands since I've seen you. I just look and think. <laughs> I, I, I love my ex-wife. Yeah, I love my ex-wife, but instantly there's something beaming off of you both everywhere you've walked yeah. since, since I've seen you. So, yeah. so the fact that you've explained that now, that the reason that is so powerful is because you were thinking of your wife or telling your wife it makes sense because yeah. people did say you had lots of people saying not that they took took in what you said but they felt it yeah exactly and and i think you know i've criticized a lot of the people in what i'm calling the freedom movement generally that i don't even know what you call the brand of the you know what used to be conspiracy anti this anti that whatever but but i've said if we really sat back and were honest we should give ourselves at least a barely passing grade, if not a failing grade. Because the truth is that part of the reason why the darkness is so successful, part of the reason why the establishment of whether it's the World Economic Forum or the World Health Organization or any of those things, part of the reason why they're successful is we as humans have done a pretty shitty job of modeling a better form of humanity. We get drawn into the fight. We get drawn into being the least, the most brutish, 
you know, the least elevated, whatever else, we get drawn into fights that aren't our fight. If we actually sat back and said, did we really need to fight about whether or not we were going to get a gene therapy or not? Did we need to fight about that? No, we needed to actually say on every stage, it's an experimental gene therapy. But you know what we fought about? We fought about the term vaccine. That's because we were drawn into a fight that never was the fight. We got sucker punched. And, and, and as humans, if we actually just took a step back and said, hold on a minute, are we being lured into a thing? We would have had a better experience by saying, we don't have to enter into your stupid language, World Health Organization. We don't have to enter into your stupid Strategy Gates Foundation. We don't have to jump on the bandwagon, stupid World Economic Forum stuff. We don't have to jump on that. We can actually have a better conversation. And the better conversation would have been, what if we just all agreed to stop using the word vaccine? Just stop it. Because it's not. Just stop it. Not get into a fight. Not say we're pro or anti or anything else. Just go, you know what? I don't like genetically modified corn syrup in my food. You know what I'm not going to do? Put genetically modified chemicals in my body. You know what? What am I? Anti-cornstarch? No, I'm not anti-food. I'm anti-genetically modified things. And guess what? Had we had that better conversation, I think we would have had a lot less polarization, and I think we would have a different conversation. And I think as humanity, we need to show up modeling a better form of who we really can be, rather than entering into the fight that is the table set for us by the people who are dictating the rules to us, and then wondering why they seem to keep winning when we're on their battlefield, on their terms, on the day of their choosing. And so I think there's a better humanity that we can all have, and I love that about what Kim and I have, is we constantly are looking at our behavior and saying, are we modeling the best? When you've said, Kim said, think of yourself, when you're giving that speech, though, many people I'd say, you weren't thinking of yourself, because I think you're, yeah. risking, you're risking yourself. Oh, yeah, but... You're taking but, on the but, biggest so, yeah, farmer but in the world. Listen, I mean, once again, her observation, not mine. I've done a lot of work in active and post-conflict regions around the world. I went in for 28 years, I went into those places actually already telling myself the hero story of if I get taken out. What sort of places? Oh, Costa Rica, Nicaragua during the war, um, El Salvador during the war, Peru during the war, all across Africa in conflicts, in the Pacific, multiple live civil wars and actions where was, I was, was actually you, there. What was you doing there? Um, I, I often get called in by governments to help negotiate either the ends of civil wars or the post-conflict reconciliation. So I've done that all over the world. And what's amazing about the experience of doing that is I had gone in, and I'm very successful. I mean, there's a lot of places on earth where I made a huge impact, and it's great. But Kim's question, which was really interesting to me, and it's a soul-searching kind of question, is I was asked by her, what if you had gone with joy? Now, I had never thought about that because I went on essentially a mission. And if you go on a mission and you know that you don't even care about whether you survive because your life kind of is not that great, you're not excited about your life, you can be highly effective because you're reckless. Yeah, yeah. Okay? And that's what I was. Push it I was absolutely reckless. And I don't, by the way, diminish my effectiveness because I do take on fights that are pretty long, odd fights. And I win. 
But her question, which was a really cool question, is, but did you model the best of humanity when you were there? And in truth, the answer is no, because I did it not caring about my own life. If I had gone in and had the spirit that said, I want to show you not only that we can resolve the conflict, but I can show you what it looks like to have a human who's enthusiastic about what he's doing, I would have had a different effect. And so what has been the effect of the last eight years is that thinking about yourself piece has turned into, am I showing up the way I want to show up where somebody has had the encounter or experience of interacting with me and they go, I'll have what he's having. And I think that's an amazing transformation in my life and I am forever grateful for it. Okay, wow. And can, we, can, you, can you go back and explain genetically modified, can you explain to people who have no idea what that is? So yeah, to, okay, so let's, let's tear apart this question that everybody likes to fight about on the internet. So we'll pick a fight, yeah. right? Is there a virus? Is there a SARS coronavirus? Is there whatever else? In the 1950s, a group of scientists stole British data and got the Nobel Prize for creating the model of DNA. And it's very important that you hear what I just said, the model. DNA is a concept. It doesn't exist in nature. It is the building blocks of things that we call chromosomes. And it's information that goes into things we call proteins. But DNA is a construct, this two-dimensional double helix thing, which we've been told is the way it, the life is figured out, was a model for which a Nobel Prize was granted in the 1950s. And on the back of that model, we've created all kinds of illusions about what we think is the way in which chemicals are formed in the body, how they interact with the body, how they express themselves in genes and all this other stuff. But we have to always remember that we're building models on a model. And what you should hear in that is there's a reality and then there's the way we explain reality. Those are two different things. So the question is, what does genetic modification mean? So let's go back to the way you find material in a cell. What you find in a cell are chromosomes. And these things are structures that are wound up. They have nucleic acids in, which is what we stretch out and we call it DNA. But the actual structure of how these things exist, the actual chromosomes inside of a cell, have all kinds of properties that we never even consider. So we stretch out this thing called DNA and we say that basically 95% of it is junk. That's the human's adjudication on the phenomenal mystery of how human life works. They say 95% of it is junk. What do they mean? They mean 95% of it doesn't fit into the explanation that we've tried to put on it, which is kind of an interesting thing. In science, if something is less than 5% relevant, we call it an error, except when it's the model we build everything on, and then we say it's science. It's a total mind bend. But here's where it gets interesting. When we, when we say we're going to genetically modify a thing, what we're doing is we're taking information from one system, and we're actually adapting that system to achieve a chemical outcome that is not part of nature. The thing that most of us are aware of is genetically modified seeds and crops. So, you know, BT corn, BT soybeans, BT cotton, BT all this other thing. Well, the BT in that is Bacillus thuringiensis. That's a bacteria. And that bacteria is used to introduce all sorts of things into, into seeds 
so that those seeds become tolerant to various things, mostly pesticides and chemicals. Now, the reason why that's dangerous is back in the early 1900s, this goes back to 1903 to 1907, the Japanese figured out that Bacillus thuringiensis, the bacteria, creates a toxin that destroys the human gut. Isn't it mysterious that after we introduce genetically modified seeds and their crops, suddenly we have an outburst of genetic disorders in things like, I don't know, colitis and irritable bowel syndrome and digestive problems where they're now proliferated all over the world. And mysteriously, no one knows where that came from except for the fact that in 1907, the Japanese published the where it came from, which is the bacillus thuringiensis toxin actually creates leaky guts, which is how you destroy human populations. And somehow, mysteriously, we can't talk about it. What's genetic modification? Genetic modification at its core is this. It's taking the complexity of a living system, reducing that complexity to just chemistry, and then messing up the chemistry to create toxins. And what every single genetic modification does, doesn't matter what the thing is, it's modifying a natural system by introducing a chemical variant for which the human body has never been adapted, right? We, we weren't adapted to get bacillus thuringiensis-laden toxins in our food. We don't have a gut that is able to Dude, actually sorry. process that information. And so what do we get? We get chronic digestive disorders all over the world. We get prolific obesity all over the world. And people sort of go, I don't know how it happened. Well. I know exactly how it happened, and the data was there in the 1907 publications in Japan that prove it. What's going on in all of these modifications? Well, what's going on is we've decided it's not good enough to just do that to seeds. We can now do that with people. And if you remember, and anybody who's in Europe or Singapore will remember this, remember Dolly the sheep, the first cloned sheep? Yep. Giant scandal all over the world. Oh my gosh, people are playing God. They're going to create a sheep and it's going to be cloned and it's this and that and the other thing. Well, what was that? That was actually trying to take a whole life form, in this case a sheep, and figure out how to make it out of just chemistry. And the good news is you can do it. You can make a thing that looks like a sheep. The bad news is you can't make a sheep that lives very long. And then the question is, is it a sheep? Right? Is the thing you made when you reduce the complexity of all life just to chemistry, is it the thing that you said it was? Now, we could have an interesting conversation about whether objectively it was a sheep or it wasn't a sheep. But the truth is, it had sheep-like attributes, but it certainly didn't live like a sheep, didn't reproduce like a sheep, and didn't live long like a sheep. So a lot of the sheepness of Dolly didn't work. And what did we decide to do? We decided in... 2000 to give a grant, National Science Foundation grant, to a group of researchers in the Northeast in the United States. The grant title should be very chilling when I tell you this. The grant title was Darwinian Chemical Systems. Let's unpack those three words. Darwinian Chemical Systems. Life is complex. It has frequencies, it has chemistries, it has all the forces of nature and the universe and everything else, and we've decided that we are going to preferentially say that the only thing life is, is a series of chemical interactions. So we're taking this amazing complexity and we're saying, no, it's just chemistry. And for 10 years, we actually see if we can take information out of RNA 
and see if we can get it to write itself into DNA. What's so RNA? that we can. What's RNA? Well, so that's ribonucleic acid. That's the little information packets that actually inform cells how to make proteins. Okay. We're going to see if we can get those to actually modify the actual genes, the actual information of how the genetic systems of a cell work. And we're going to see if we can get RNA to write itself into DNA and modify an organism. And so for 10 years, the National Science Foundation funded a project called Darwinian Chemical Systems. And 10 years into it, a company called Flagship Ventures came along and started a little company that no one's ever heard of called Moderna. Okay, this is where Moderna come from. And people sit there going, oh, but they said that it, they said RNA wouldn't affect our genes. They said it wouldn't write into the human genome. It wouldn't change what people are. It wouldn't alter what people are, except for the unfortunate reality, which is the reason why the company started, is they succeeded. They succeeded in getting RNA to change and modify the genetics of living systems. And the first clinical trial that was done on that technology was called the COVID vaccine. We use this. Now, during the pandemic. 2020. Okay, okay, Here's the interesting thing about that statement. Yep. And it's super interesting. The head of the Institutional Review Board of one of the largest universities in America on the West Coast. I'm not at liberty to divulge which university, but I will tell you, it is one of the largest. It might have the name of a state involved in it, but I can't say what it is. But let's just say very large university might have the name of the state in it. <coughs> you get where I'm going. The head of the Institutional Review Board, who is the scientific ethic body that's supposed to review studies, called me to tell me that when she asked for the data, which were the animal studies to prove that there had been any safety study on the Moderna injection at all, she was told, and I quote, this was a straight-to-humans protocol. There was no animal testing. No animal testing. So how do you actually come up with safe and effective? How do you come up with informed consent? How do you come up with anything when the very basis of scientific research, which says that what we do is we start out at a Petri dish, then we go from a Petri dish to a cell line, then we go from a cell line to different kind of animals. We do a whole bunch of things to say, oh my gosh, if we see liver cells die, or if we see epithelial cells die, or we see anything else mutate, we actually say, oh, that's not safe. But we do that in systems long before we get to humans. And when asked for the safety data from the animal studies, their response to the head of the Institutional Review Board at this major university on the west coast of the United States was, this is a straight to humans protocol. Now, what does that mean? That means that we took not only a risk, but we knew that this technology was going to alter what it literally means to be human. We were going to do what we've done to seed crops. We were going to do what we've done with hybrid vegetables for a long time. We were going to do that, but we were going to do it with humans with not a single piece of safety data Why? to prove that it worked. Why? Why wouldn't they have done that? To kill people. To, yeah, to kill people. We can dance around this thing for a million years, or we can actually get to the point. Yep. In the 1940s, after the London Conference at the end of the Second World War, 
when we decided to do the Nuremberg trials, when we decided to hold people accountable for all the Nazi war crimes. One of the biggest war crimes that we talked about was the human experimentation because of all the things that incensed the Allies the most. It was experimenting on, on the prisoners. The experimentation on Jews and gypsies and, and people with mental disorders and everything else, the experimentation was seen as so odious that we could actually whip up the anti-Germany, anti-Nazi Fuhrer over the Fuhrer's behavior, right? That's what we were going to do. So Nuremberg, when the London Conference met, Nuremberg trials were set up largely around the optics of this idea that humans were experimenting on humans in unethical ways. And we decided out of that to come up with a series of conventions, whether the Geneva Conventions ultimately modified, whether it was the notion of informed consent, human trials, all of that kind of stuff. Everybody around the world agreed that we were going to actually build rules to say never again. Yep. Those rules lasted a grand total of three years because in 1950, we decided to break those rules. And we decided to create, the Allies decided specifically to create a series of biological weapons programs where they were going to start human experimentation again. And human experimentation then was conveniently done on incarcerated people, people in the military, all sorts of clinical trials that weren't clinical trials because in the US law, for example, the president has unilateral ability to waive informed consent on active duty military. So guess what we can do? Use your own soldiers. They're guinea pigs, and they're already cannon fodder. So what difference does it make if we expose them to Agent Orange in Southeast Asia, if we in inject them with every form of craziness so that we get anthrax vaccines, where mysteriously we can have Gulf War syndrome so from so being in, you know, exposed to things that never happened? Here's the problem. The problem is we're not having the right conversation about this because this entire modification of what it means to be human is not a COVID event. This is just the worst form of it because in this particular instance, we've actually taken the risk of modifying the very genes of humanity itself. And that's the first time we've done that. We've been willing to do it with plants for a long time. But to actually say that the human pre-shot and the human post-shot are the same human, we cannot say because we know the evidence is that's not true. And we've gone from testing on other people's prisoners of war to testing on our own people. We've, yeah. We've, we've condemned how bad it is to test on prisoners of war. Yeah. And then just took out these experimental tests, first on our military and now on the entire world's public. Correct. So as I pointed out very early on in this pandemic, if you have, and, I, and no kidding, this actually exists. If you're Moderna, you file a patent on a vaccine for opium addiction. Did you hear what I just said? A vaccine for opium addiction like you're going to catch opium addiction, like the population is going to just be wandering down the street I'm and suddenly... Addicted to heroin. I'm... What? I walk past a, an opium den and I suddenly find myself irresistibly drawn in by a tractor beam that suddenly puts a needle in my arm? How insane is that? But during, ironically, during the whole COVID nonsense, Moderna filed patents on an opium vaccine. You can't make this shit up, right? This is so bizarre that we actually have decided we're going to genetically modify people. So that they can then get addicted. So then they can get addicted to the thing. Something. 
what that's what you're saying yeah. that, so that's it's what, insane so they could then if they've modified people they could change that person to then be addicted to something that they haven't even tried absolutely and they've got a vaccine as a result to solve it and there you go and they're gonna okay so when I talk about this is changing what it means to be human I mean it's changing at a fundamental level what it means to have any notion of autonomy any notion of choice or the capacity to make independent decisions. There is not a shred of that that is part of this architecture. And the reason I say this is to kill people is not hyperbole. If you go back to 1955, 1956, 1957 at the World Health Organization, they explicitly decided that population control and population management was a specific objective of the World Health Organization. Now, you have to go back and ask yourself, when the World Health Organization was set up, who were the funding interests that were at the table? And it was the Rockefeller Foundation. It was the eugenics lab at Cold Spring Harbor Lab. And you heard me say that correctly, the one that Andrew Carnegie set up in 1913. These are the people who actually decided that there are too many people in the world. And they decided it back then. And the way to solve the problem of too many people is to come up with an immunization program. And not surprisingly, if you go to the 2011 document released by the World Health Organization, which is called the Decade of the Vaccines. And if you don't, you don't read these things, you'll never know. But in that publication, the Decade of the Vaccines, they explicitly say the objective of why they're doing this is to make sure that they manage population numbers. So this is not a... Oh, I wonder what's happening. And this is not about public health. This is not about making sure that we don't have malaria, we don't have you know, typhoid, we don't have cholera, we don't have things that are the, the diseases that kill us. This is about making sure that we have a population that is capable of being exterminated if somebody decides there's too many of us. And you're not, you're not just talking about the COVID vaccine. Here. Oh, no. You're no, if you go back and you look at the history of it, you look at the fact that we have tons of things that we now call you know, antibody-resistant pathogens. So MRSA, you know, C. diff, all kinds of things, which are these n- nasty bugs where if you're at the NHS in the UK or you're anywhere in the health systems in the United States, you hear about these superbugs that, that evade the detection of, you know, all kinds of natural, you know, either therapeutics or biologics or anything else. If you go back and look at them and say, well, how did those things come into being? The fact of the matter is they were created. If you go to the current U.S. government documents, you find that there are 64 registered toxins and pathogens that are currently in development, just like SARS coronavirus. They're currently and, creating 64 more now yeah. similar sort of viruses. Well, not similar. They all do all kinds of crazy nonsense. I mean, toxins that are neurotoxins. Are these the bio and, labs that Fauci had to move out of America? And, right, and yeah, Ukraine. That, that's a lovely story, but he didn't move them out of America. He actually made the, the illusion of moving them out of America. But for example, this whole question, Peter Daszak, EcoHealth Alliance, did he really move that $3.7 million grant to Wuhan Institute of Virology? And the answer is no, because on in October of 2014, three days after the gain-of-function moratorium was put in place by the federal government, by the Obama administration. A letter was sent to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, which specifically stated that Ralph Barrick's gain-of-function research on coronavirus was not only subject to the gain-of-function moratorium, but at the last paragraph on that page, it says, but since your project is already funded, you can keep going. 
See, the public media has said, oh, we moved it offshore. We put it over in Wuhan. No, we didn't. We actually created the illusion of it. And while $3.7 million of research dollars went to Wuhan in 2014. How much was spent in America? $14 million on a continuously rolling schedule went to UNC Chapel Hill during the gain-of-function moratorium. You know, not a single person in the primary or alternative media has ever reported on this fact. Senator Rand Paul, who famously had Anthony Fauci in the Senate and had him opposite him in the Senate, had a copy of this letter in his possession and at no point in any of the interactions he had with Anthony Fauci. When Anthony Fauci said, we never funded gain-of-function research, that letter is a public document. It was in his hands at the time of his questioning of Anthony Fauci and to this day. Not a single public servant, not a single member of Congress, not a single lawyer, not a single litigant, not anyone anywhere, and nobody in the mainstream, and no one even in alternative media has been willing to put that letter in the public, which I'm doing on my speaking tour of Europe, which is to make sure that apparently, since people can't find it and read it, despite the fact that it is a public document, I'm now making more public by showing that, in fact, they said that project would gain a function. The project that they reference is Ralph Barrick's project, and let me just see if this lands for you, which grew out of his 2005 presentation at the U.S. DARPA and MITRE conference that was entitled Biohacking, Synthetic Coronaviruses as a Biological Weapons Enabling Technology. Now, if you heard that, let's just say from anybody, somebody on BBC or Fox News or anything else. If you heard that the guy who brought you SARS-CoV-2 was, in charge was paid by a grant that was funded off of a project entitled Synthetic Coronaviruses, Biowarfare Enabling Technology. Does that sound like public health to you? Does that sound like something that gr we want to save granny from that one? No, but here's the problem. Just like we don't call it gene therapy, which we should call it, just like we don't call it genetic modification, which we should call it, just like we don't call it biological weapons, like we should call it, just like all of those things, we still are having debates about whether it's a good or a bad vaccine. It is a biological weapon created at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, unambiguously stated as such. Not my words, their words. And where do you find this cunning, devious data that's hidden so far into the ground that nobody can find it? You find it on Ralph Barrick's curriculum vitae on his public website at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. That's how, that's how difficult it is to find this. You can source it by, I don't know, looking up his CV. So anybody who even pretends to say that there's a question about where this came from or what it was intended to do is disingenuous. The fact of the matter is, this was a weapons program, and it was designed to be disseminated, and in 2019, September 18th, 2019, the World Health Organization's Global Preparedness Monitoring Board stated, and I'm actually taking this right out of, I think it's page eight of the document, in September 18th, 2019, we are going to prepare the world for an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen so that by September 20th, or by September 2020, the world 
demands a global vaccine. This is three months before allegedly patient one in Wuhan. A leak, a so-called leak. But it's not even a leak. A they say accidental or intentional release. Yeah, yeah. But they the, but intended the leak, to yeah. actually release it. This. And when people sit there going, well, but how did it go, you know, mysteriously from China to a cruise ship to northern Italy to Seattle to New York? How did it pop up? I point them to, you know, a, a, a news source that I know is totally untrustworthy, the New York Times or the Washington Post, who actually did a study when the government was forced to do so, when it under FOIA had to release, that actually tested aerosolized pathogens in New York subway systems and in Washington civil systems and all kinds of other things. So this mystery of how did it happen is actually answered by the Defense Department's own documents that actually say that they, in fact, have already done this thing. So the giant mystery of how could it mysteriously show up and how could the same variant seemingly show up all over the world despite the fact that we don't have planes that are actually carrying people exactly from these points? How did it mysteriously just proliferate around the world? How did it pop up here, pop up here? And why is it that when we went on to news stations, we always had the same number of COVID cases first? Try to find a news agency anywhere on the planet that didn't start with three cases. Is that how pandemics work? So how did regardless it, so, of population, so how, so how did regardless it, of population, you just happen to have three and then you happen to have five and then you happen to have seven. And we started building the fear porn about how many cases there were, except for the fact that all the news stations had the seemingly had the same number. That sounds like a script. It doesn't sound like a pandemic. And the reason it sounds like a script is because it is a script. This was not a how did it mysteriously jump out of a Wuhan bat market when a bat and a pangolin got into it one night and got a little drunk and, you know, had their business and then lo and behold, whoo, SARS. That's not what happened. This was a release of a respiratory pathogen. Why do I make that allegation? Because they wrote it on September 18th, 2019, and the world closed its eyes. This podcast is brought to you by Urban Scoop. Any support to carry on this work will be greatly appreciated. Please visit urbanscoop.news forward slash support us. Thank you. And so you asked at the beginning of this interview, why do I do what I do? Whether it was anthrax in 2001, where I had the inconvenience of pointing out that somehow mysteriously the year before Bayer got an authorization to get an approval for inhalation anthrax. By submitting something to the FDA where no kidding, and this is a matter of public record, it says that they did the approval with no safety and no efficacy data. You're just supposed to call Colonel Friedlander. That's it. That's the data. Call Colonel Friedlander. Well, who's Colonel Friedlander? It turns out he was the guy that was running the anthrax aerosolization program for the United States Department of Defense. So that's the data that we use to approve a drug for inhalation anthrax a year before the September 2001 release of anthrax. Listen, people can live under the rock all they want to pretend like this doesn't happen, but the evidence speaks for itself. You don't actually have to be a sleuth. All you have to do is be literate. Read it, and you see that the same pattern that emerged then is the same pattern they did now. It's the same pattern they did with HIV, because HIV 
was the AZT of choice because we needed to get GlaxoSmithKline a shitload of money. It turns out that we needed to make sure that they had a patent run on AZT. And so what did we do? We actually made sure HIV was everywhere so that we could sell a lot of AZT. The same program over and over and over and over and over again, all done under the absolute immunity of the World Health Organization, which as a UN-sponsored agency allows not only itself but its partners to not only have criminal immunity, so if they murdered people, which they have, which they have many times, there's no accountability that they can have by charter. But here's where it gets worse. It is actually illegal to investigate them. Isn't that amazing? It's against the law to, so, so to investigate them. You can't even investigate them because their immunity is not just for the crime that they did. So in the malaria clinical trials, that the World Health Organization and PATH and the Gates Foundation funded, which not only killed children under the age of six months, which, you know, there are too many six-month-olds running around, so we should just kill them off. Not only did they kill them, and not only did they kill more with their experimental vaccine than in the control group, but the control group, if you bother to read the study, got another tainted vaccine. So they killed kids in the control group, and they killed kids in the malaria trial, and a lot more people died in the malaria trial, so that, that showed that it was more deadly, which is, which is the reason why we decided to keep the program going. But you can't investigate that crime. The murder of six-month-old children, as young as 10 days old, you can't investigate that crime because there is immunity from investigation and immunity from criminal prosecution. That's the kind of stuff that we need to be having public conversations about because the public would never ever tolerate it if they knew it or believe it i think a lot of people struggle to believe that we have governments out there that have worked for 60 years to create things that are going to mass wipe out populations yeah. to control i think people will struggle to get their head into the mindset of how these people view us yeah and you know as, that's an as, interesting and, and listen i mean i i talk about this a lot of times there's, there's a worldview that is defined by fear and scarcity Right, and that worldview is what you hear out of the World Economic Forum, you hear it out of the Gates Foundation, you hear it out of everybody who's on that kind of, that kind of side of the fence. And their worldview says this, that, that we, we have come to expect a standard of living. And the standard of living we've come to expect is not available to everybody. So we have one of two options. We can either lower our standard of living or get rid of people. And it turns out that when you have mega yachts and you have your smart house on an island in Mercer Island or wherever the hell you have your island in Washington State or your islands where you actually do pedophile rings in the Bahamas or whatever else you do, it turns out that when you have a worldview that says, well, I'm just going to go and take my private jet to my island and the rest of the world can go fuck off, which is, which is the worldview, then what you're saying is, how dare anybody ask me to lower my standard of living? What I'm going to do is do the get rid of people side of the equation. Because that's logical when that's your worldview. When you go, the world doesn't have enough to go around if I'm defining what enough is, because I know what my consumption is, and there's no way that everybody can have a 150-foot mega yacht. Not everybody can have their own private island. Therefore, since not everybody can have that, I would never accept a reduction in my standard of living this is the 1%. Which means the theory. only way I can deal with it is to get rid of people. Now, here's the problem. The vast majority of people don't even aspire to living that way, right? The common people, 
and, and by common people, I mean anybody who has a rational view of humanity doesn't feel the need to own a mega yacht or an island or a whatever else. Because ironically, most people want to go about their day. They want to have a lovely time with their family. They want to do barbecues once a month. They want to get together with their football team. They want to celebrate a win. They want to you know, dr get drunk when somebody loses. But what they want to do is they want to live a life. And the people who are actually determining who can live and who can die have established an expectation of what their consumption level is. And they have quite correctly said, seven billion people can't be equal to me, right? So in their head, they're right. But here's the problem. The problem is they haven't considered that their consumption is their problem, right? The fact that they lost touch with humanity might have something to do with their island and their yacht. Because it turns out that when that's what you focus on, you actually don't understand what it's like to go to a pub and sit down and watch a game on TV. Why? Because your bodyguards won't let you go to a pub. They'll let you go to your exclusive yacht. And what we have is a world where the people dictating policy have decided that they cannot reconsider their consumption, so we have to get rid of excess people. Let me make a very clear and bold statement. This earth can sustain many billions more than we have on it right now. We throw away food in every grocery store. We burn fuel with a 20 to 30% efficiency when we could have been up at 60 and 70% efficiency if we actually took the blinders off of the automotive industry. There are tons of ways that we could actually have more than enough to go around. But we've willfully chosen to maintain a system that creates the illusion that it's either a reduction in standard of living or a reduction in population. And we haven't considered a world that says, maybe it's not an either or situation. Maybe we could learn from communities that actually know how to live without a mega yacht, without a private plane, without, you know, servants and, and handlers and, and everything else. You know, one of the reasons why Kim and I take the approach to life that we take is we actually love to be with people. You know what you didn't have to go through to get to this podcast? My handler. You know why? Because I don't have one. You know why? Because I'm a person. And I don't want to live in a world where I have 17 buffers between me and humanity because if that happens, I lose touch with humanity. And that's fundamentally what's happened in this situation. COVID is the evidence of a worldview that says we are unsustainable, but they forget that they are acknowledging their failure, not humanity's failure. And this isn't, this isn't when people say conspiracy theories. They're, Bill Gates is on record as saying we need oh, yeah. to depopulate use yep. it, using vaccines. Yep. No, I mean, people try to spin that to say, well, what he really meant was that people will have less children if they have a better health outlook for their children. So when he says we're going to get rid of 10 to 20 percent of the world's population, what he really means is that 10 percent or 20 percent won't reproduce. That's what he's really trying to now backpedal on that statement. But I don't care how he's backpedaling on that statement. You know what I am now? Look at me and I'm going to tell you this. You know what I am now? In the last 12 months, I've become a grandfather times two. Okay. Little Rory just had his first birthday. Little Emerson, who's a couple months old. I love the fact that my kids just had kids. <laughs> you know why? Because it makes me a grandpa. 
And one of the things I love about that is I love that I'm in their life and I got to hang out with them. I get to play with them and they're amazing and I love my kids and I love their kids and it's an amazing situation. And I have a view of my life that says I've got my use by date somewhere along the line. Somebody's going to bump me off or I'm going to keel over or whatever it's going to be. And that's my use by date. But I'm going to fill every one of my days as full as it can get until that day happens. And I know that my kids are going to know dad fully lived. You know what my grandchildren are going to know? Grandpa fully lived. You know what everybody's going to hear about me? He fully lived. That's what I'm about. I'm not about how many things, how many artifacts, how many whatever else. And that means that when it comes to a person who comes up and says, hey, can you be on my podcast? The answer is, let's go live. Yeah. Why? Because I want to fill every day. I want, to, I want to wring every drop of life out of every single day. And that's how you live. And then you realize that that's the richness and the wealth that they'll never know. And are you on a mission to awaken people? To- no, no question. I feel like I'm an alarm clock. I said this in my movie, Future Dreaming, that I'm an alarm clock in a world of sleepers. Because I think most of us know this to be true. This conversation is everybody's conversation. You could put at any coffee table anywhere in the world. And people would sit there going, yeah, that's kind of that's, that's cool. That's it. Yeah. And their story's bullshit, and we know it, and whatever else. Everybody knows that. And everybody actually agrees with it. But very few people have the courage to actually say it. And here's the challenge. The challenge is it's one thing to be inspired. It's another thing to be inspirational. And the job that we all have is to make sure that we figure out how to cross that line. How do we go from going, ah, man, that sounds pretty cool. I like what he's saying. To, yeah, take that home. How are you going to do it? What are you going to do in your neighborhood? How are you going to treat the people at the grocery store? How are you going to treat the people at your school or your church or your mosque or your synagogue or whatever? How are you going to actually interact with people? And are you going to be a better version of humanity or not? Because the fact of the matter is, that side, the side of the Bill Gateses and the Klaus Schwabs and you know all of the, the who's who of who and everybody else, that side only prevails when they keep us in fear. But if we have values and we have experiences and we're hanging out together and we're doing things together that they can't intervene, like this, I'm sure somebody somewhere would love us not to be talking to each other. And guess what? They're not here. We are. That's what we need to be doing over and over and over again because we can get the grassroots of humanity to actually sprout and do an amazing job of overwhelming the noise of the stupid, idiotic view that says too many people, not enough to go around, everything else. We've got a better story. We just have to tell it. You're, you're giving warnings now. We're in Denmark. Yeah. You've given a warning here before. Yeah. When? <laughs> October what, 27th, 2002. And what was that warning? Well, the warning was that if we actually didn't watch out, the European directive that was going to allow for patents on biologically modified substances was going to turn into an enablement that would ultimately backfire against humanity. Because it turns out that if you allow for a commercial gain held by an individual or a corporation that says, I can build a thing to destroy humanity and I can actually control the profit and the destiny of that thing. If you allow that to happen somebody's going to use it where did you give this warning in alberg denmark on a freaking cold rainy miserable wet gray day what sort of meeting was it you was at it was the meeting that was organized by the european union presidency that was here in denmark so it was as 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 you know high class and high brow as you can get so the making, eu presidency 
EU presidency, and you warned them that if you allow them to basically create bioweapons within that there might be a bad pharma, outcome, then they'll want to create it to have the solution yeah. to gain profit. Yeah. And when, and now we're how many years on, and you're back in. You know, <laughs> it. You could actually correctly look at me and go, "Well, you suck," because you warned them 21 years ago, and and that didn't work. And as I said in my speech today, there's some of it that's true. You know, I, I, I know that 21 years ago, the David Martin that got up and spoke there was angry. I was angry that I was having to do the speech. I was angry that I actually had to say something as, as pedestrian as, do you think it's a good idea to let corporations create bioweapons that they are then going to create the solution for? Do you think that's a bad idea? The fact that you even have to have that conversation is mind-boggling, right? We had just been through 2001. We had just been through the anthrax thing. We had just seen the United States Defense Department attack its own citizens with a pathogen. Should we have to have a conversation going, is, is it a good idea to so let they, that so, happen again? So, they le- so in that year, they legalized it. Yeah. In that year, they legalized it. And so this isn't just about population control, but for these mass corporations— this is about profit as well. Oh, my God. In fact, Peter Daszak very famously said, as I've recited in every presentation I made, and this is p- published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. This is not some, you know, substack blog in indecipherable location. The Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. And he said to increase the need for the, uh, the public's understanding of the need for medical countermeasures such as a pan-coronavirus vaccine. We need the media to create the hype. This we need to use today. that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. Does that sound at all like public health? Is anything about what I just quoted from hey, Peter Daszak? Let's quote that one more time. Quote that. Again. So, to increase the public understanding for the need for medical countermeasures such as a pan-coronavirus vaccine, we need the media to create the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. February 2015, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. You can't read that statement. So the me- the, we use the media to scare the shit out of the public. Yeah. And then we get the investors because we get the mass profit because the public will be crying out for the vaccine. Correct. That sounds word for word exactly what was just played out. You think? And, and would it help you to know that just one year later, in 2016. Yep. So this is during the gain-of-function moratorium. Yep. When we allegedly were outsourcing all the research to China. Remember to that? Other countries, yeah. That, that gain-of-function moratorium. 2016, Ralph Barrick publishes a paper that says, WIV1, you know what that stands for? Wuhan, Wuhan Institute of Virology Virus 1. It says, and I couldn't make this up if I tried, WIV1 poised for human emergence. The virus we've created is poised to go to humans. We're pretty sure we don't know how it came out of Wuhan, even though the headline of the article says, WIV1 poised for human emergence, and then the article details the exact nature of the Wuhan Institute of Virology virus that is, and I quote, poised for human emergence. And somehow mysteriously, even the likes of Tucker Carlson and Joe Rogan and Russell Brand and all the people who are in alt media, they can't seem to find an article that actually says that, yeah, Wuhan had a role to play. 
But if you go back and you read the article, what you find out is Wuhan uploaded a sequence that Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, downloaded and reproduced in his laboratory in North Carolina in the United States of America. And then, in violation of the gain-of-function research moratorium, tested it, improved it, and in 2016 announced that it was ready for game time. Now, Which is one how of, hard is it for any of us to decipher that? Right? Many, many of us haven't heard this, though, because of the censorship. <laughs> of course. I listened to your speech. It opened up. I've listened to so many speeches today at this event where the evidence is backed up with irrefutable evidence. Here's what's going on. And it's not just irrefutable evidence, but it's all in plain sight. Yeah. This isn't hidden. No. So how come there are not more media or investigative journalists who have pieced this together? What do you think for that? Why? Well, I can guarantee you the answer is an old, 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 massive program that works really well. You either buy people off or you blackmail them. And the answer is, if you are in journalism right now and you are not reporting on this story, you're either bought or blackmailed. And you know what that tells me? In either case, integrity's left the building. And, and as we've just seen today, Matt, the funding for media, the funding for the so-called scientists that are on our TV, I saw one that 89% of the funding is coming from big pharmaceutical. Yep. So when we're talking about bought off, we're not talking about individuals being offered money here. No. We're talking about the companies they work for, their money, their funding. We're talking about the fact that 88% of the private organization donations to the World Health Organization, 88% Bill Gates. come from the Gates Foundation. You know what the Charter of the UN does not allow for? What? That. So The Charter things- of the UN never allowed for a private corporate donor to fund UN chartered organizations. Every member state was supposed to contribute, but it never authorized a corporation to fund that organization. Because then that leaves one corporation in total control. That's exactly right. Where they can profit and they can control what's happening in the world, as we're seeing. Yeah. And so, if you want the world according to Bill Gates, welcome to that world. And we know what the world is according to Bill Gates, and right. what they want, depopulation, control. Yep, and somehow or another, cows that don't burp and fart. For climate change, which is just yeah. an, another angle that... Listen, I mean, if you, if you listen to one of our dear friends, Greg Braden, who is an amazing, thoughtful geologist, and he's done all kinds of stuff around the world, you listen to him, you listen to all of the research that he's been bringing out that s- says that, you know, the earth has gone through historical climate alterations over many epochs, up and down, ice ages, super warming, super cooling, all that kind of stuff. And it's been going on for a long time. And, and, and the irrefutable evidence right now that the earth and the most notably the sea temperature that's warming is actually warming from the core. The surface is cooler. The core is warming. You know what humans have nothing to do with? The core. The core of the earth. We have nothing to do with it. But it does so happen that in very large cycles, we go through phases where energy across the universe concentrates in the iron, you know, kind of solid core of the earth. And like a microwave, it heats up. And what that does is it gives rise to these blooms of magma and other kinds of things. And these pyroclastic blooms are happening. And right now they're happening under Turkey and they're happening in the Pacific Ocean. And you know what's happening? The earth is heating from the inside. By the way, there is no dispute on this point. 
Magnetic variations have been increasingly being noticed across the Pacific and uh, around where what is now Turkey and roughly eastern Turkey. We know it's there, and we know it's going on. And we know that when the seabed heats up, it actually releases a bunch of gases, methane being one, carbon dioxide being another. And by the way, the amount of release from deep water sources of all of those gases far exceeds what humans can ever do. Yeah. This data is absolutely publicly known. So, it is published. And geologists know what I'm saying. And we still are telling grandma to turn off the uh, gas yeah. stove. We're still saying that it would be better to plug a Tesla in, never mind the fact that we're charging it on coal-fired power plants, but let's not talk about that inconvenient truth. Let's not talk about the fact that to actually mine the lithium batteries that actually shorten the lifespan of lithium miners in South America to an average lifespan of 37 years so that you can have an extended life battery for your freaking green car. So think about that. Let's make sure we kill people 37 years of age to make sure you can have an extended life battery in your stupid Tesla. To save the planet. Those kinds of things. Let's not talk about any of those inconvenient truths because what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to scare people into climate change being a thing that humans have to adult, adulterate their lifestyle so that they can actually not do their part and allegedly doing something that they're not doing. Last time I checked, you and I have nothing to do with the temperature of the core of the earth. So how many of these fears, whether it be climate change, whether it be vaccines, are any of these fears legit? No. No. The only, and by the way, I would go one step further. Fear is not legit. If you have to advance your cause on the back of fear, you're not legit. Yeah. Because the fact of the matter is the truth doesn't need a defense and the truth never needs fear. What it does need is it needs courage and integrity. And those are the things that are in short supply right now. Because what we need is we need conversations that just say, you know what? You can't dispute a thing I'm saying. Every single thing I'm saying right now is backed up chapter and verse, not with my data, with the perpetrator's data. Yours, and if the same organizations, the World Health Organization, the UN, the World Bank, the IMF, if the same organizations are using exactly the same methodologies for behavior modification and funding of their campaigns, they're using the same advertising agencies to get the same messages out, so climate change, gender identification, you know, COVID, public health, you name it, food supply, if, if you have to have the Gates Foundation funding your marketing campaign, the only tool it has is fear, and everything that it's promoting is BS propaganda, period. Is it that fear that is the reason why there's so few doctors? Because you're a doctor, you've researched yep. this. Surely doctors are intelligent, highly, inter, highly intellectual. Surely most doctors have researched this when they're being No, most about doctors vaccine. are prostitutes. And they're prostitutes because they actually stopped being physicians and they started being prescribers. In the sense? Explain. Well, in the sense that when managed care became a proper noun, right? And this is something, if we think about the Commonwealth countries, this is going back 40 plus years. If we think about the United States, it's going back 25 years in many respects. I mean, we could go back and say that when Roosevelt put in Medicare and Medicaid, we, we were roughly getting into managed care. But that was usually for the aged and the, and the poor in the United States. In the Commonwealth countries, it was all about creating this illusion of national health. But if you go back and look at what those were and you look at who advocated those, in the Commonwealth countries, it was almost all Burroughs Welcome. It was almost... Burroughs Welcome, Welcome Trust. Which is? Okay, which is the largest drug company in all of the UK's history. So here's a wild-ass guess. If you had to go out on a limb and 
and suggest why you'd want to build a national health system and why you'd want to have a national health system that was funded by a pharmaceutical company's private foundation. Is anybody in the UK aware of the fact, which I will be talking about when I talk in the rest of Europe, is anybody aware of the fact that by the 1950s, the Wellcome Foundation actually was the one who put in place the review panels for the safety of medical protocols. So there and is there problem. any chance that they would go, well, you know, the safe protocols would be to make sure you use our drugs. Is there any chance that GSK, is there any chance that Pfizer or Lilly or, you know, Gilead Sciences, is there any chance that they might have something to do with the fact that when it comes to reimbursable codes within all of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield and with within all of the managed care systems in America, is there any possibility that they may have a vested interest in making sure that every physician is primarily a prescriber, not a physician? And the fact of the matter is, if you look across all of the evidence, the chilling fact is that in the United States, pharma, the lobbying entity pharma, P-H-R-M-A, the Pharma Research Association, is the largest lobbyist by threefold over oil and defense. So this is the biggest business in the world. It's the biggest business in the world. Giant shock. Is there any chance that if the biggest business in the world could maximize profit, by the way, their words, not mine, right? They were the ones that said investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. That's theirs, not mine. Is there any chance that that system could ever be corrupted? And have, and have we just seen that 90% of the people who sit on the panel to decide if drugs are safe then go on to get a position with yes. these pharmaceuticals? When they leave yeah. this role, 90% yep. of them... Yep are then hired, so they're not yeah. really going to go against you, you really, You really think that they're going to rule against their future employer who has their stock options program and their compensation program and their private jets and their everything else. Their you shares. really think you really think that they're going to go out on a limb and say, yeah, let's go ahead and care about safety or efficacy. You, you really think that despite the fact that the FDA in 2014 had a published protocol on what vaccine endpoints are by definition and by law, do you really think that the FDA would ever stand in the way of somebody who made up the most ludicrous clinical trial endpoint in the world when we were told that these shots were safe and effective? The way they designed the study made it impossible to count the deaths and the injuries of the people who only got the first shot because to be vaccinated, according to the clinical trial, you had shot. to have the second shot yeah. and be 14 days post that. Which so means if you got instantly? the first one, you died instantly or you died within the interregnum of those, the, the time between shot one and two, you weren't vaccinated. So that, you know that, what? that doesn't count as a vaccination. Isn't that amazing? And isn't it amazing strange. that in, in 2018, the World Health Organization changed the definition of an adverse event from immunization? that the only adverse event that they would be willing to consider is an adverse event that is already established in published clinical literature. Isn't that fascinating? Because there is no published clinical literature on genetically modified injections. So isn't it cool that you change the definition of an adverse event? So legally and technically, when Pfizer and Moderna say we have had no adverse events, they are actually telling the, the truth. truth. 
Because, all the, because the, the law changed in 2018 to d- d- redefine what an adverse event from an injection was. It changed in 2018 just before the pandemic. It, uh, it's, it's like they saw it coming. I don't know. It, <laughs> it feels like it might have been part of a plan. See, these are the things. And once again, this published, it's medical journals. It's all published. And, and my tr- the tragedy of this conversation is you've been around the alt media for a long time. This is the first time you're hearing this. Yep. Right? You should, so be, you should be going, oh, that's old hat. I heard it on this or that or the other thing. Nope. But you don't hear it even, anywhere. Even the old media I haven't discussed this no. or, or dug on it. No. And they don't because if you rock this boat. You are censored more than You are. No, but you're rocking a foundation that even those who think they have courage are unwilling to do. This is actually the white-hot core of do we want to be a population that is subservient to tyrants or do we want to be people living at liberty? And that question, the vast majority of people don't want to ask because they don't want the answer. And the answer is right now, we are actually hybridized into this compliant, acquiescent BS that we call humanity. And the fact of the matter is we don't want to face that. Well, the fact of the matter is that when you go through the deaths, which I've seen today, is that Big Pharma is the biggest killer of anything in the world. No question. Big Far-, Far bigger than the military-industrial complex. We were advised by the president in the 1960s, beware of the medical-industrial complex, or the, the um, sorry, I, that was a Freudian slip, military-industrial complex. We were told that that was the dangerous thing, dangerous thing, dangerous thing. But Guess these what? These deaths are far worse. And when we're thinking of Pharmaceuticals control, have killed way more people than guns and bullets have ever done. And when you're thinking of control, the way they will control all of our populations and limit our freedoms is with Big Pharma. Absolutely. Because you won't go somewhere if you don't have that pass, this pass, your behavior score, whatever it winds up being. It has nothing to do with it. Is If you're not a taxable entity inside of Pharma's pocket, you're not eligible to have the human experience. That's the future. And guess what? We're still not there. And we, the people, can change it. We can have this conversation matter. We can listen to this conversation and go, not on my watch. Because all it takes is for people to say no. Yeah. Enough people. That's, That's all it. it takes. That's it. The solution to this is every single person, when they do, when they done mandates, when they done lockdowns, if everyone come out of the same hymn yep. sheet of no, yep. they can't control it. No. But too many people are manipulated, controlled, and not just manipulated, controlled, too, coward, too cowardly to stand in the way of any of this. Like yeah. I'd ask you, all these, all these gentlemen, yourself, all the people who have become the faces of this, this is the biggest freedom battle I think we're ever going to see. Yeah. This is the biggest crime humanity is going to see of what's happened. Yeah. All of these faces, I'd, what do you think the future is for gentlemen like yourself, gentlemen like these doctors who one by one have stood up, their reputation, their lives, their livelihood, their, their, their names, their rep- they're, they're risking everything here because as you said, you're going up against the most powerful gang organization yeah. yeah what's the future what's going to happen to so so i already i already know because i've already seen it yep and the best thing is think about this conversation kim and i travel the world and what i can guarantee you is the outpouring of love and humanity we've experienced around the world so clearly overwhelms the powers of the forces that are on the other side that while we can pretend that they have all the money and they have all the influence and they have all the control. They don't have the love. They have no concept of what human love is about. 
They have no concept of the value of sitting across the table from somebody with whom you might not share common perspectives on 10 things, but you share common perspectives on two. They have no concept of what that looks like. And the fact of the matter is, all we have to do is just be human. During the lockdowns in Virginia, what Kim and I did was we hosted events at our house. And we had neighbors across the street. We had a prick across the street who'd call us in and go, there are too many cars across the street. You know what we did? We kept having the events. And we had too many people at the house. And I said, guess what? We're going to keep doing it. Why? Because you can't stop me from having people at my house. Because I'm not going to stop. We have a dear friend. We We have a dear friend in California. Dave Bryan, Dave and Cheryl Bryan, they're the pastors of a church in Yuba City, California. Governor Gavin Newsom came along and said all churches had to shut down. And David Bryan said, no, not only no, but we're going to have armed guards, armed vehicles at the driveway. If you want to turn it into a showdown, bring it. You see, you can do this. And you know what? And you know what? They increased. They increased the attendance at their church. They increased the number of days they kept the church open. They kept people coming and coming and coming. And Gavin Newsom and all of the forces of the state of California could could not touch them. Why? Because Dave and Cheryl said, what we're doing matters, and the state does not have any business making a scene here. And guess what? You need to make They're sure still doing you, it. You need to make sure they don't take your firearms because across Europe. Oh, trust me. Across Europe, we are we are enslaved because we we cannot fight a resistance like you've just given the example yep. of. In the UK, your door would have been booted down, you've been dragged out <laughs> yeah. of place, and you've got no. no resistance. But this is but but here's the point. The point is that's part of the reason why you're talking, and you saw in the on the panel today, the Americans who are here at this conference have suffered greatly. I mean, Kim and I financially have been obliterated in tons and tons of ways. Now, here's the problem. The problem is I'm an entrepreneur. I've started business in my whole life. And guess what? You can knock down a business. I'll build another one. And that's how we've actually kept not only going, but growing. We've actually had an amazing period of time where, you know, I'm supposed to have my oxygen supply turned off because they want to shut me up. I just find another way to poured another tank in you're and probably a rarity in this no but this is the point we all can do it yeah. right i i was threatened with the loss of business i've been threatened by all kinds of losses i have lost my family because i was actually rejected by my family not surprisingly my oldest brother works for the cdc of all places you know you, you know but the fact of the matter is did i lose anything and the answer is i didn't lose anything what I, what I destroyed was the illusion of relationships that weren't real. What I destroyed was the illusion of businesses that uh, I thought mattered. Yeah, guess what? They're gone. But you know what I've built? Phenomenal relationships with people that are amazing. Around the world. Phenomenal friendships that Kim and I celebrate every single day. We have an army of people who got up at 3 o'clock this morning to hear my speech. You know what I don't do? I don't do that for other people because I'm a shit. When I'm asleep at 3 o'clock in the morning... I'm asleep. I don't wake up. But you know what we have? We have a whole group of people who woke up at 3 o'clock because they wanted to be supportive and they wanted to be part of what happened here in Denmark. And I look at that and I go, holy cow, what an amazing group of human beings. That's what we really have. So did I lose anything? No. Do you think that's because they feel like any sacrifices or any trouble you're about to take on, you're doing for them? I think that there's no question we think we're doing it together. And I can get as much fuel from them waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I get as much fuel from them as I give them. 
because we're you, actually in it together. Can I ask you the fallouts within the family? Because lots of people watching this have had fallouts in the family. Yep. Lots of people who refuse to get their children vaccinated have fallout at the schools with yep. their parents. Yep. The fallouts in your family, did they happen at the start of this COVID? At oh, the, no. No? I've been a black sheep for as long as there have been sheep, so... No. So what, what I'm finding, what I'm finding <laughs> is I done a I done a podcast yesterday with Dr. Anastasia. Yeah. And she's someone who's been very vocal as well. Yeah. She's been a black sheep. Yeah. So lots of the people who are upstanding here are 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 willing to it seems like they're willing to because they've experienced things in their life like we've just within the first 10 yep. minutes of this podcast we find out that you're brokering peace between civil wars <laughs> you're there's a reason that you're willing to you're 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 willing to yes. fight this well no question because listen that's a character of it's chiseled your character yeah but but it also prepared me for the moment yeah. too right so if you can look at it and you go i'm ready i was made for this moment why not yeah so, what else so, would so, I so covid and what and, and their tyranny is is creating new leaders yeah. and new people. Yeah. That, that, that instead of us being inspired by political leaders, many of the public now are inspired by whether it be citizen journalism, people who have stood up during COVID. It's made ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Yeah. And people are watching and, and following. And they also know, and this is one of the great challenges that all of us face, is that we are accountable to the people that we interact with. You know, I'm accountable to make sure that the information that I put on a screen is, is absolutely correct and verifiable. I'm accountable for that. And I have to model that because if we want to talk about a better humanity, we have to live that way. We can't shoot from the hip and, and come up with our own version of the next idolatry that we put on to, oh, now that's the new hero. No, don't listen to me. Don't believe me. Don't any of those things. Go look at what I said. Check out those facts. Draw your own conclusions. I'm not telling you what to think. I'm telling you where to look to inform yourself. Because if you look and inform yourself, you're going to come to conclusions that are probably worse than mine. If you give a message now then to people who are watching this, so people who are still concerned, people who are still fearful, people are thinking there's another lockdown coming, people are thinking there's forced mandates coming, of vaccines after Joe Biden made comments recently yeah. about. What, what advice would you give the people who are, who are still in fear, who have jobs, have careers, have yep. mortgages, have bills, yep. and they're worried because they think they'll lose their jobs for taking stances? What, what advice would you give them? So I grew up in a religious environment. So I'm going to use a religious metaphor, not to do anything other than it's natural to me. There's a story in the, the Bible about Jesus being tempted by the devil. And the third temptation, which we don't like to talk about, is when he takes, the devil takes Jesus to the top of a mountain. It says, all you have to do is kneel down to me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. And, and if we actually slowed the tape down on that conversation just a little bit and, and really examined what the wisdom is in that story, what's really the ask in that story, right? You, you have a person who, however you want to look at the historical or metaphoric experience of who the person is, right? We have a person who has a mission on earth to show the potential of what humans are capable of. And we have a transaction where he's asked to just do one thing. Just do one thing. It's not that hard. Just kneel down, and then I'll give you everything. And if we actually really understood the wisdom in that story, we'd go, oh, hold on a minute. Would the character after that moment, right, if, if he took the knee in that transaction, would he even be him? They sold his soul. Right? 
The what if question needs to be a question we stop asking because we're not the person we are at the end of that question. If you say that my job is worth the jab, if you say that my lifestyle is worth the jab, if you say any of those things, you've already made a decision. To surrender yourself. And the decision is I'm going to surrender my essential nature to become a slave to pharma for the rest of time, however long that might be. In the case of the injection, the great news is you probably won't live that long because we know cancers will happen, heart attacks will happen, myocarditis will happen, all kinds of other things will happen. But that's not the point. The point is the day you have decided that your essence and your soul is transactable for a corporate objective is the day you lost is the day you already died so there is no such thing as that question it's not real we've been created into this illusion of thinking that's a transaction we can make but if we stop and ask the question hold on a minute am i me on the cruise if i can't get to the edge of the rail to see the tropical island because i have myocarditis was the cruise worth a shot if I hated going to work, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. Was it worth the shot? Was it worth the shot? And if we asked the real questions, we wouldn't even have the question. We'd sit there going, no, you know what? We hated the commute so that kept us away from our families. We hated the boss that didn't care about our, our contribution. We hated those things. Why on earth would we fall for a deal where somehow that's the carrot? So if people, had the, if people had the courage to stand by their conviction of what yeah. they know, if they had that courage, then I'd say I, I know and, and you know and the people know that they'll be proven right in every single second. Of Absolutely. Because the people who stood up at the start, now people who have had the vaccine are sitting thinking, damn, I've been fooled, I've been lied yeah. to. That's only going to get worse. But yeah. I think that their, their, their attempts at influencing the public are going to get more extreme. And the level Oh, no of, question. The level of fear. Yeah, but, but the other side is, we know you coming. know what? A, we know it's coming, and B, the other thing is, I've had more views than, I don't know, Gates has. Yeah, people are Guess searching for, for your, people are searching That's for exactly right. That's now. exactly right. So, newsflash. And they'll trust my marketing. My marketing budget, you know what it is? Um, I don't have one. <laughs> you know, my, my, my paid political influencer. My, my, my way of contacting 4 billion people is free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How much is Gates spending? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not living in a world where I have to, I have to pay to have my message out, you know? And, and so you tell me, you when was the last time Bill Gates got to say that about something he said? And I can guarantee you, he's never been able to get they that. have to spend billions in order. They to have to get billions, and then they still aren't getting their message out. Nobody's listening to him for 21 minutes. They have to turn the comments off. That's exactly because right. Because the comments are on the side of right of freedom. No, we, we've already prevailed in our in in the essence of humanity. We've already prevailed. What we now have to do is recognize that it's within our power to say no to the fear. It's within our power to say no to the influence. It's within our power to say no to the coercion. Just say no. That's it. And if we stop falling for the transaction, the transaction won't work. That's why at the end of that story that I just referenced, it said, and then the devil left him. Didn't say Jesus won, just said, and then the devil left him. You know what that means? If you say no, then the evil just pisses off. It goes, finds another thing to do, but it say no, and then watch the devil leave. 
Where can people watching this follow your movements? Where can they watch David Martin next? World on YouTube. We only had a couple taken off. They're they're still out there. Um, Kim and my website fullylive.world, uh, where we, do shows we have yeah we do tons yeah. of shows together. Um, so we've got all the history of of all the crimes. We've done amazing videos. We have over three hundred videos that are up there. Um, are, are you pushing people to other say like platforms like Rumble? Are you are you also on Rumble? Are you well? I'm not there, but people put my stuff there. Okay, I, I just Kim and I, you know, we accidentally fell through doing our own show and then it blew up and okay. and then millions of people started watching it and we don't actually entirely know why but that's okay it doesn't matter but we never had a media program or a, a, a staff or anything yeah. else and so what we're doing is we're just getting the content out there and people are sharing it um and and so yeah fully live.world david martin.world and david martin world on on uh, youtube and now apparently i've got a fairly big number on twitter so people can find me on twitter well, what's the views on tiktok alone of your speech you know uh last time i was place? told was 800 million you see uh, I, what, 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 <laughs> I've, what i've noticed what i've noticed is that someone rises to stardom and i've seen some pl plenty of citizen journalists like this plenty of activists whether it be andrew tate talking about masculinity or other people around the world once they rise to a certain point the the uh, the opposition the elite are behind but once they get level, they decide to censor and name these people as dangerous individuals. Have you made, are you making any preparations for how you will oh, get I've been, around this? It's not just around that. I, I was prepared for this a long time ago. I have an enormous number of things that I prepared years before this happened, which have been the insurance policy on that. And it has been very good. And I will continue to do the things that I do to make sure that I continue to be effective the way I a man with a plan. Yep. A man who knows what's coming. Well, it's good to have watched it come so that you can be prepared. Mm. And the encouragement I would make to everybody is know that it's coming. Build the networks of support. Build the conversations. Know who to talk to. Know the connections that you can listen to. Because the fact of the matter is, if the human race does not respond with fear, and all that takes is information. If, if people are informed, they won't be fearful. They'll know that it is a few money-grabbing nonsense pharmaceutical companies and their paid hacks. They'll know what it is, and they'll be able to say no. The reason why this one worked as well as it did is there, were an, there was an anonymity to the fear. Now we can name it. Now people can know it, and now they can say no. Can you also give people um, what's the sense of gra the sense of feeling that you get when you stand up for something? Can you continue to stand up for it even? No matter what happens. You know so what the best thing is? The best thing is, once you've committed to it, it's, it's nice so thing. easy to stay committed. Yeah. So easy. I hope people take inspiration from your lead. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. And good luck. It is a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you. Carry on watching for more interesting guests. I'll talk to anyone. I'll debate anyone. I'll hear anyone's story. If you want to help me along that way, it's not free. I need your support. If you can support my family, that gives me my peace of mind. It means I can continue to do the work I do. You can do so at www.supporttommy.com. I appreciate every bit of support, as do my children. It gives me the ability to fly them out here to see me so I can stay in constant contact with them. I'm de-platform and I'm censored, so I need you. I need you to share this content. Make sure you stay tuned for upcoming weekly guests, interesting guests, exciting guests. 
I'm Tom Robson, and this has been my podcast, Silence.